Hey, welcome to Cross Creek On Demand. We are so glad you are here. My name is John. I'm the lead pastor. We created Cross Creek to be a church for people who don't normally go to church. And so we've designed our Sunday environment, including our online environment, to be a safe place where people can discover God's love for them. We would love to connect with you when you are ready. Go ahead and scroll down and you can click ask a question, ask for prayer. Maybe you could find out how you could get here on a Sunday evening to join us live. But we would love just to be a part of your journey in discovering God's love. When you're ready, we would love to see you in person. Until then, why don't you go ahead and click subscribe so you can be updated on Cross Creek's most recent messages. Thanks for joining us. Hey again, welcome to Cross Creek. My name is John, I'm the lead pastor. If you're watching online, thank you so much for joining us. It's great to be seen by you wherever and whenever you are. But uh, we are in part two of a series we are calling How to Ruin Your Marriage. Because as, I might generalize a little bit, but as a guy, I think I might have you know, some insider information on how to ruin your marriage. I might not have all the, all the facts on, you know, here's how to have a perfect marriage, here's how to do this, do that, but I have a good idea on what not to do because I've, I've learned from experience. And I think a, a lot of us, a lot of us have. And uh, here at Cross Creek, we want to be a church where we can talk about things, we can discuss things, we can ask questions. We want to be a safe place where people can ask questions. And one of the ways we can do that is actually, if you are here, um, this connect card in the seat in front of you. On this, you can just write your name and email, and if you're interested in something, you can do that. But if you have a question about anything I talk about tonight, you can just mark the box at the very bottom that says, I have a so what about question. And you might, I might say something about marriage, and you know, I might say something about husbands and wives. You'd be like, yeah, but so what about this? That's what this card is about. You can ask, write any question you have on the back of this card, put it in the wooden box at the info table afterward, and we will get back to you this week, maybe furthering the conversation. Maybe not a perfect answer, but maybe a way to kind of, hey, have you thought about this? And if you're online, you can do that also where it says, ask a question where you found, uh, actually, you can just scroll down and it says, ask a question. But um, we're doing a marriage series, and I know not everybody here, not everybody watching online is married. But we're talking about marriage. You're like, well, this is going to be a waste of at least 40 minutes. Thanks for dragging me here. Thanks for making me watch this. But here's, here's the thing with, with this series, I think. We call it How to Ruin Your Marriage. I think it really could be called How to Ruin Your Life. And because these, these principles that we're talking about, you can apply really to any any relationship. And I know oftentimes in churches, especially churches like this, people who are single are made to feel kind of like less than. Like it's churches for the, the married couples and then you're single so you, you know, maybe you get your own little singles class and that type of thing. That's not what Jesus was all about. That's not what Christianity is about. That's not what Cross Creek's all about. So if you're, if you're single, you're not less than. In fact, um, according to the biblical writers, the Apostle Paul, even Jesus, you might even be, you might even have a leg up on this whole Jesus thing by being single. And we can talk about that sometime if you want, but we really think that this will be for everyone. And so as we're talking about marriage, I think we need to lay some ground rules. Because when, when you get married, you usually have at least a conversation of like, you know, this is kind of what I expect. That time. We'll talk about that next week, actually. But uh, we need to lay some ground rules when we're talking about marriage, especially if you are married and you're, you're sitting with a spouse. And if you're a guy here with your wife, you're one brave dude. Thanks for being here. Thanks for staying in your seat. You're going to be safe because I got two rules. First rule for this series, no nudging. 
If I say something and you're like, man, that is exactly what I was talking to you about two hours ago. None of this. If I see this, I'm going to point you out and it'll be really embarrassing. All right? This is not for them. This is for you. All right? That, maybe with the no nudging thing also, might, we could kind of put an addendum to that. That's the right word. I looked it up. But we could put an addendum to it and say, you know what? Maybe no talking about it in the car on the way home either. Right? If, they, if you both know that I'm talking about one of you, let that one of you bring it up when they're ready, okay? Because we're trying to make healthy marriages, not angry marriages. Okay, so that's rule number one, no nudging. Rule number two is no saying even to yourself, I wish so-and-so were here. Because it's so easy to hear a message, something that you could apply to life and be like, oh yeah, they're having this issue. I wish they could have heard this. I'm going to send it to them. They're not here. You are. What are you going to do? Before you think about sharing it with somebody else, I think Jesus told a story about this, had something to do with a plank and an eye. Before you think about somebody else for this, think about you and how you can apply it to your marriage or your relationships or anything like that. And then maybe you could send it on with like a, hey, this meant a lot to me. Here's what I got out of it. Maybe you could use it too type of thing. We're not against you sharing our messages, but just know this is for you. So you might be nervous about marriage. You might, maybe some of you, are a little annoyed that you're here because the Blazers are playing. I understand. I appreciate you being here. So to kind of ease us into this idea of talking about marriage, I want to have a little bit of fun. And so we're going to play a little game that I'm calling Know Ya Boo. (laughs) Know Ya Boo. And so I've asked uh, three couples to come up and play this game with us. So we've asked Eric and Lindsay Steinke to come up. So come on up. And... Luke and Gillian Summers, come on up. I don't know if Gillian even knew she was coming. And then Michael and Donna Looper are also going to be a part of this. So we'll put, we'll put the Summers here. You guys can be on the side. And I think the Looper should be front and center. You get the special one because, well, we bought these at a store where things only cost a dollar, and sometimes you get what you pay for, so you get the special pen. And I even have an extra one if one of your pens breaks. You'll be okay. Luke, can I stand on this? Yeah. Sweet. It's like a rocker. Yeah. You gotta do the stance. You only do one foot. No, don't. Anyway, so we're calling this Know Ya Boo. It's kind of like the newlywed game. So we'll ask a question. We'll ask a question of either the wives or the husbands, and then you kind of have to guess what your spouse would answer. And if which whichever couple gets it right gets to leave early. Yeah. Okay. Go watch the game. That's not fair. We always have to stay late. Well. It's because he has a name tag. Oh, I don't have mine anymore. Cool. So know your boo. Let's go with question number one. This is for the ladies. Ladies, what is one word your boo would use to describe you? And then guys, you write your real answer and don't share answers. So ladies, what do you think is one word your boo would use to describe you? Nope, go with your gut. Go with your gut. Okay, so, Gillian, what word do you think he would use to describe you? Beautiful. And Luke, what, did, what would you actually use? <laughs> Hot. Now, if you know Luke, you kind of would have guessed that answer, Gillian. It's okay, that's close. We'll give you half a point for that. All right, uh, well, how about you, Donna? What, what do you think? Cute. Oh. And Michael, what would you actually use? Hilarious! (laughs) There you go. 
Oh, if, if, you have, if you have just small pens, there's actually an eraser on the pen you can use if you want. Or the tissue might not be for the pen, it might be for tears. responding. Yeah, the tears. All right, Lindsay, what did you say? What word would he use to describe you? Caring. And Eric? Beautiful. Okay, so you guys need to just swap boards. All right, good. Go ahead and erase that. We have another question for you. Ladies, other than his current job, what is your booze dream job? Other than your current job, what is your booze dream job? Sorry if I'm blocking you guys. You're getting a good, a good view. Is that better? Okay. All right, are we ready? Well, we'll go the other direction. So, Lindsay, what do you think Eric's dream job is? Autocross driver. And Eric said, race car driver, we'll take it. Good job. All right, Donna, what'd you say? Full-time pilot. Which, pilot, hey! That's good. The lines of communication are open. Let's see how you two do. Okay, so you only get to pick one. You can't like list 10 things so you get it right. Well, he wants to be retired from the military. Period. Retired from the military. But the leather work, I would leather say. Leather work. Agape custom shop that does amazing leather work, even earrings, by the way. So just a little plug there. And Luke, what did you actually say? Leather work. Hey, very good. Okay, the next question for the ladies. This is the last question for the ladies. Now you, then you're going to get to be off the hook. What is the first thing your boo would buy if he won the lottery? You, you can't win if you don't play, just letting you know. What is the first thing your boo would buy if he won the lottery? Besides paying off my mortgage, thank you. <laughs> You're answering what your boo would do. Yeah, what he would do. What would he buy? Okay, you get the premise of the game? Yeah. All right, Luke, you have to write something. Okay, we're going to go with the loopers first. So, Donna, what do you think Michael would buy? Car parts. <laughs> Just the parts. <laughs> so he could put the car together with all the parts. That is a lot of parts. And what would you actually buy? Our house. There you go. Very practical. Look at that. Okay, let's go with the summers. Gillian, what do you think Luke would buy? 69 Mustang. And Luke, you would buy a... or. A few. You pay, you pay off the house. Hey! <laughs> we have some practical guys. Let's see how the Steinkeys do. What do you think, Lindsay? All of his dream cars. Hey, you guys should get together with the car thing. Lots of cars! Hey! <laughs> nice job. Well done, everyone. All right. So now this is for the guys. Guys, which... You have to listen carefully, okay? <laughs> which movie title... Would your wife, boo, oh, we forgot to take out, anyway, what movie title would your boo use to describe your relationship? Which of these four movie titles, you get to, yeah, I make it easy on you. You're welcome. Which of these movie titles would your wife choose to describe your relationship? A, Beauty and the Beast. B, Fight Club. C, The Incredibles. Or D, It's a Wonderful Life. How would they describe your relationship? Beauty and the Beast, Fight Club, The Incredibles, 
or It's a Wonderful Life. There were a lot of movie titles I had to take out, just so everybody knows. Because this is church. The first one is Beauty and the Beast, which you might want to think about. (laughs) All right, let's go with the Summers. Luke, what have you written? How would Gillian describe your relationship? Incredibles, the Incredibles. And she wrote, see the Incredibles. Look at that. What an incredible answer. All right, uh, Michael, what would you see as the Incredibles? And Donna, the Incredibles, hey! We at least have four conceited people on stage. That's great. And let's see, Lindsay, see. Eric? Uh-oh. Hey, aw. But really, guys, he actually won that one, right? Oh, good. Very good. All right, guys. What is your booze favorite thing about you? What is your booze favorite thing about you? Again, it's church. What is your booze favorite thing about you? This was on social media this week. Well, then you should know it. All right, let's go with the Steinkies. What is your booze favorite thing about you? And Eric? Beard Dad. So is that your nickname, Beard Dad? Yeah, we can. Very cool. And Lindsay? Funny. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Not so much with the beard, buddy. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, let's see, Donna, what is your booze, wait, I'm confused too. All right, Michael, what'd you write? I'm handy, that's good. His servant heart. Uh, Half point. All right, Luke, your booze favorite thing about you? Loving, and she wrote, Sense of humor. Oh, they prefer the humor. Yeah. Okay. And one more. This is our last one. Guys, what celebrity would your boo most like to meet? What celebrity would your boo most like to meet? Well, that's, that's kind of the definition of a celebrity is that they're well-known, right? Celebrity. Has at least 900,000 Instagram followers. Celebrity. I'm getting close. I'm just kidding. <laughs> What's well, Instagram? All right. So let's go, let's let the ladies answer first so we can see if the guys got it correct, right? All right, Donna, what celebrity would you most like to meet? Sandra Bullock. Uh, and Michael, who did you actually say? Would, James May. <laughs> I don't know who that is. Do you guys know? <laughs> That's cool. That's a fun inside joke that nobody gets. Cool. All right, Lindsay, who would, what celebrity would you most like to meet? Chip and Joe Gaines. Good choice. 
Joanna Gaines, hey! Good job. And now, Gillian, what celebrity would you most like to meet? Adam Baldwin. Adam Baldwin. Is that, is that a Baldwin brother? No, he's no, actually not. Oh, okay. Never. Okay, and so you got it wrong, and you wrote... Oh, Harry, good, yeah, good one. All right, so I think the Steinkeys won, so Eric, enjoy the game. <laughs> and make sure you shave on the way home. Thanks, guys. Let's give them a hand. You can just leave those right on the chair. All right. Thank you so much for playing. No ya boo. So, the fun's over, let's get into it. Marriage is hard, isn't it? If you've been married for longer than maybe a month, you know marriage is hard. And whether you're a Jesus follower or not, I think marriage is hard. It's not just a, not a Christian problem, not a, not a Christian problem. It's just marriage is not easy. In fact, it's, it's difficult. And do you know why marriage is difficult? Do you know why maybe if you're married, your marriage is difficult? Don't nudge again. The reason... It's difficult It's because you are a difficult person to live with. Yeah. You're a difficult person to live with. The fact is, we all are difficult to live with because we want what we want. And when we don't get what we want, don't nudge, when we don't get what we want, there is conflict. We want what we want, and when we don't get what we want, there is conflict. Now, see, what we want might actually be, and probably is, a good thing, right? We, we want, right? It's totally justifiable. We want help. Maybe we want help with the kids. Just, I, just, I just want help putting these kids to bed. Maybe we just want help with the dishes or help with the house. Maybe we just, you know, want respect or our spouse's time or maybe attention, right? These are, these are things that we think they're justifiable wants, but when we don't get those things, think about this. When we don't get those things that you probably do deserve, how do we react? I know all of you, right? You, you, you calmly communicate your feelings with I statements. Oh, he, he, he didn't do the dishes like he said he would. Well, honey, I feel disrespected when you, when you don't do what you said you would do. Oh, well... I feel that if you said you'd be there on time, you would be there on time. That's how we always answer, right? Very calmly, wait for the right time, right? No. Usually it's anger or annoyance or agitation or frustration, right? We're not getting what we want or we're afraid we won't get what we want. So whether we recognize it or not, we often respond in a certain way to control the outcome in our favor. When we don't get what we want, we act in a certain way to control the outcome in our own favor. And you're like, okay, I, I, I don't do that. She does, but I, I, I kind of get what you're saying. So ask yourself this. Do I ever do any of these things? Maybe, maybe what you do is passive-aggressive. This is like, this is my bread and butter right here. Passive-aggressive. Very good at it. So you don't get what you want. So what do you do? You, you manipulate Sometimes it's crying, which, you know, if, if your husband's like me, crying, you win right away, right? If Liz cries, I lose, right? So crying, um, pouting, I'm good at that one. Moping, you don't get what you want, so you just kind of mope around the house, right? I already taught it to my kids, they're good at it. 
Maybe, maybe it's guilt, using phrases like, well, you never, da-da-da-da-da, or I always have to, right? Manipulating with guilt. Or maybe you withdraw, put up a wall, you withhold any affection. You stop communicating to get what you want. You use the silent treatment, right? Passive-aggressive ways to control the outcome in your favor. I remember when, when Liz and I first got married, she was so, I'm, no, when Liz and I first, I, that was kind of a joke. You're supposed to be worried that I was going to make fun of my wife, and I didn't. If you have to explain it, it's not funny, but I'm just going to keep milking this. There you go. Okay. See, I controlled, manipulated to get the outcome that I wanted. See how that works? Guilt. So I remember, um, I forget what we were upset about. I was probably wrong, and we had been married maybe a year or two, and we're arguing about something, and... How do I react? Just calmly talking about it because, you know, I love Jesus. No, I, I start doing the dishes and not looking at her and not talking to her. I hate doing the dishes. Why did I do that? Like, I'm just mm, doing the dishes because I'm trying to manipulate by putting guilt on her by saying, oh, well, look how much I care. I'm doing the, you know, see what I'm, we do that, don't we? Or it's just me and I should be sitting where you are and you should be up here. Okay, or maybe so. Maybe it's not passive aggressive. Maybe it's more overt. Maybe you're you're a little bit more, um, you know, non-passive aggressive. Maybe it's bullying or nagging or belittling or threats and ultimatums, yelling, intimidation. Maybe sometimes it's even physical. And as this goes on over time, day in and day out, month in, month out, over the years, we get in the habit of trying to control our spouse, trying to control our relationship. We become controlling. We become controlling. And for some, this might be a tendency that maybe you, you picked up even before you met your spouse, right? Maybe this controlling tendency comes from, from your childhood. I don't have time to deal with that right now, okay? We're just talking about marriage. So if that is something that you have, let's, let's talk about that another time. But today we're going to talk about marriage. So, Fighting for control is one of the best ways to ruin your marriage. Fighting for control is one of the best ways to ruin a marriage. So step two on how to ruin your marriage, control it. How to ruin your marriage, control it. Have you ever been in a car, maybe it, um, you're on gravel going too fast or ice or whatever, and it starts fishtailing? And then you try to steer and overcorrect, you try to control the problem, what happens? gets even worse, right? You spin out. Now, imagine you are in a car that's fishtailing, and there's two steering wheels that both control. That's what it's like to try to control your marriage. If you want to ruin your marriage, control it. In fact, control issues are at the heart of many, even most, failed or failing marriages, because control weakens trust. It shuts down all communication. If you're trying to control, you can't have an actual open communication. Because, I mean, honestly, control is a clear sign that we place more value on our wants, even our needs, over our spouse, over the other person, over our relationship. So why do we do it? Like, we know that's not the key to a healthy relationship, is trying to control it and get them to do what you want them to do by manipulating, right? Why do we do it? I think it's because of pride and fear. Or insecurity. Fear, insecurity, kind of same thing. Because pride and fear give birth to control. You get pride and fear together in a room, 
in your, in your heart, in your mind. And what's going to come out of that is control. And they're so intertangled that it's really impossible to separate them. But when we're talking about pride, we think about, you know, I deserve this. I deserve respect. I deserve attention. I want this. Our wants are more important than anything else in the world, including our spouse and our relationships. Well, I, I deserve this. I want this. And so we think we know best how to get that. We think we know what will make our life the best. And so we need to be in control. We know how life, how the best life should be. And in fact, we usually know what's best for the other person. And so they should just do what we're telling them to do. I'm not controlling. I just know what's right. I'm not controlling. I'm just, I'm just wiser. So you get pride and then you have fear or maybe you can call it insecurity where you can't trust anyone. Right? You've been, maybe you've been let down so much. You know, I may, I may lose everything I want, so I need to control the situation. I need to control it so, so I don't get hurt. And if you let these two things, pride and fear, win, you will always be grasping for control. And you will ruin every relationship you touch, whether it's a married relationship or even a friendship or even your kids or your parents or whatever. Here's the thing. We all have a tendency to control. It's in all of us. We all have that tendency to control. But there's good news. See, welcome to CrossFit. We bring you down, and then we kind of bring you back up. But not enough so that you still want to come back next week. But here, there is, there is good news. See, Jesus had this one command that's kind of the thing. He came and brought a whole new way of looking at God, a whole new, whole new way of interacting with God. And it really boiled down to one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. And even if you don't buy this whole Jesus thing, that's okay. We, we're glad you're here. That's why we created this church. It's for people who are kind of just figuring things out. I think there's a principle that can help. I think this is a principle that can help. I'm a firm believer that you know, following Jesus makes your life better, makes you better at life. And I think it's never more true than in this situation of control. And if you're a Jesus follower, the, the answer that we're about to see is, kind of, is, is an explanation of Jesus' one command. So every, basically in the New Testament, whenever you hear one of, the, one of the apostles say, you need to do this, like a rule or a command, all they're doing is explaining in real life language how to carry out Jesus' one command of love your neighbor as yourself. So what we're going to see is a practical way to carry out that command, especially in our relationships. Now, if you're not a Jesus follower, you are not required to follow this in any way. There is no law, no command in the Bible that applies to you. You're still welcome to try it out. I think, honestly, like I said, following Jesus makes your life better, makes you better at life you're safe. You're off the hook. You just can say, oh, this worked, maybe. So here's what we're going to find, though. A great marriage is out of your control. It's kind of our bottom line for tonight. A great marriage is out of your control. And really, any great relationship is out of your control. And what we're going to look at is a passage in a letter that we call First Peter. Peter was one of Jesus' disciples. He was kind of like the lead disciple. And what we're going to see is Peter knew 
about control. In fact, if you look back on Peter's early, early life in the Bible, that the, the eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life where they talk about Peter and what he did, Peter was one of the biggest control freaks in the Bible. He's always answering first for the disciples. He's always taking control of the conversation. When Jesus was arrested, he thought it was his time to start a revolution single-handedly against Rome. Cuts off a guy's ear. In fact, Peter was such a control freak that he tried to boss Jesus around. Where Jesus is like, um, Peter, this is where maybe you've heard, get behind me, Satan. That's where Peter was trying to control Jesus. And Jesus is like, nice try, buddy. Right? So Peter knew a little bit about trying to control things. But when he saw Jesus after his resurrection, he really began to change. And by the time he's an old man and he writes this letter called 1 Peter, probably around 60 to 64 AD, he really understood the key to enjoying relationships. He really understood the key to enjoying relationships and actually getting control of his control issues. And so let's see what he writes about, about control and relationships and that type of thing. Starting at, it's actually 1 Peter chapter 5. If you have a Bible, you can turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. If you don't, we're going to have everything on the screen, so you're good to go. But here's what Peter says. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. He says, clothe yourselves with humility. And this might be basic, but let's make sure we're all on the same page. Pride is the opposite of humility. Pride is the opposite of humility. So, so humility, knowing who you are, knowing who you truly are, having a real estimation of you, that you are not of more value than anyone else, nor are you of less value than anyone else. You have nothing to prove, and you don't deserve more than anyone else. You are just you. And that's enough. That's humility. It says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility. That means to like, you know, when you get dressed in the morning, you clothe, you intentionally cover yourself with clothes, hopefully, if you're following the law, right? Intentionally cover yourself with humility, continually. It's an ongoing thing. Daily, cover yourself. Like getting dressed, you purposely choose what to put on. Every day, you purposely choose to put on this attitude of humility. A humble person doesn't just happen. Like, oh, I was born. I'm a humble person. This isn't life great, you know? No, it is a daily choice. Humble people choose to daily be humble, to put themselves behind others, put other people above themselves. Every day, remind yourself and intentionally adopt the attitude that you are not the only one who matters. So clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. And I think you're like, okay, well, yeah, obviously, who else are you going to be humble to? I think this is important. See, we have to, the focus is one another. Pride turns other people into either obstacles or tools. So if you're just trying to be humble for your own humble sake, what are you going to become? You're just going to become prideful. Wow, look at me, I'm so humble, right? It's kind of like an oxymoron. But if your focus is on the other, you stop seeing people as either tools to get what you want or obstacles in the way of you getting what you want. Right? Think, of, think of your last argument with your spouse or a friend. You were either seeing them as a tool that would not work the right way to get you what you want, or they were in the way of you actually getting what you wanted. A tool or an obstacle. Pride births 
control because you're seeing other people as less than you, as either an obstacle that needs to be removed or a tool that needs to be used. And so you control them to either get their wants out of your way or to make them give you what you want. And Peter says, that's not really going to work out for you. If that's, if that's your, daily, your daily interaction with people, that's not going to work out. Why? Because God, well, we, we had it earlier, but God opposes the proud. God opposes the proud. Think about this. You're like, wow, God opposes people. I thought he was for us. Nice job, John. Right? God opposes, think about this. If, you, if your kid is hanging out with another person and that person is trying to manipulate your kid, trying to control your kid, and you hear it, you should be like, oh yeah, they'll work it out. No, you are going to step in and be like, you don't treat my kid that way. I am now in opposition to you. I oppose this. I am going to stop it. I'm going to be like, you know what? You're not that great either. And hopefully their parent doesn't hear that. It doesn't turn into this weird thing. But think about it. You're going to step in, right? You're going to oppose that person trying to control your kid. God opposes the proud. Now, how about this? What if your kid or your kids are being giving to others? Putting their siblings or their friends First, putting their needs above their own. How would you react to your kid? Wow. I don't know where you learned that. It's not from your mother, but good job. I can't believe that you are so giving. I am just so proud of you. What do you want for dinner? Right? So if, a kid, if somebody's trying to control your kid, you're going to oppose them. But if your kid's being giving, you're going to be like, oh my gosh, that's awesome. I, what do you need? What do you want? God's kind of the same way only so much better and perfectly fair and totally understands the situation. So God opposes the proud, but he's with the humble. Okay, so John, what you're telling me, talking about this control thing, what you're telling me is the solution to not letting your pride turn into control is letting other people walk all over you, right? Because we're going to be humble, so we're just going to let people walk all over us and we'll just be a doormat and great, that's wonderful, let them control. So you, instead of you controlling them, you let them control you. Not one bit. Not at all. Peter goes on, verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. You're not humbling yourself to the other person. You're not giving up control in order to be controlled by them. That's not what we're talking That's not what Peter's talking about. You're giving up control to God. You're humbling yourself with God because you don't and you can't control your life. You know that. You don't and you can't control your life and you don't and you can't control others. They're free human beings. So what do you do? You give up trying to control and you realize that your life, everything you are, every, every, everything about you, everything you have is under God's mighty hand. He has all control because he is all-powerful. He is all-knowing and he is all-loving. And so the first step in giving up control is realizing you were never in control in the first place. You were never in control in the first place. No matter how hard you tried, you were not in control. You don't have to fear being walked all over because when you give him control, when you give God control, you are trusting he will take care of you. That's what you're doing. You're not saying, well, I guess I'm just at the mercy of this other person. They're gonna... No. You are under God's mighty 
hand. You are giving him control. You are trusting that he will care for you. And when the time is right, he will lift you up. You're getting your worth from him. Yeah, but what if that doesn't work out? I mean, what if what, if what God wants isn't what I want? Well, we should probably talk about that. But think, if you take that further, right, the idea kind of is, if I'm not in control, then I'm out of control. That's terrifying. I have no control. I, 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 anything I do won't, won't make a difference. I'm, I'm totally out of control. See, that's the fear. That's fear coming that wants to marry your pride and make little control babies. So when fear and pride get together, you get control, right? And so what do we do with that fear? Maybe that anxiety kind of wells up like, well, what, if I'm not taking care of myself, who, who will? Right? If I trust God, maybe he will, maybe I don't know. Here's, what do we do with that fear? Peter goes on. Cast all your anxiety on him. Throw all your anxiety, all your fears on God. Because here's the thing. Trust eliminates the compulsion to control. Trust eliminates that compulsion to control. If you're trusting God, you don't need to control it. Because you know he is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. You trust that he is all loving. Whatever he chooses for you is actually what's best for you. And it says cast, like throw as far as you can. Think of a little kid using all his might and trying to throw that rock as far as he can. Right? So cast it always. Like when I, was, when I was working on this, I went home, had dinner with my family, and we're having, having steak or some kind of meat or something. And our four-year-old, Benji, is eating next to me. And you know little kids and, and meat don't really work well together sometimes because they just can't chew through it and well, he gets this piece of gristle, and you know what he does? He's so polite. Takes it out and throws it on my plate. <laughs> he cast the gristle on my plate, and I took care of it. He didn't have to worry about it anymore. He threw that nasty, junky gristle on my plate. He cast it away, and I carried it off and took care of it. That's the same picture that Peter's talking about. All your anxiety, all that nasty stuff that you just can't seem to chew up and swallow— Cast it on God's plate. He knows where to put it. He's got a great garbage disposal. He can control it. He can take care of it. See, control really is a trust issue. You're not trusting that God can handle it. So give all those worries, that anxiety for not having control to God. The only one who really can actually do anything about it in the first place, right? See, we can either be you know those little push cars that kids ride in? Sorry all my examples are about kids, but that's my world right now. But you know those little push cars where they have the steering wheel and the little honky thing, but you're really pushing and they're just riding? So if you're, we can either be a little kid trying to steer it and getting all mad that it's not going anywhere, trying to control it, or we can just relax, enjoy the ride, honk the horn annoyingly, and all the adults will giggle because you're so cute. That's our choice. We can either try to fight the steering wheel that won't do anything, or just enjoy the ride and our dad carrying us along in life. You say, okay, that sounds nice. You know, but how do I do that? How do I actually cast it? I get it, you know, oh God, how, I, how do I actually do that? Why can I do that? I mean, I, I get giving it to him, but that's still scary. How, how, how do I know I can do that? Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. That seems so simple, doesn't it? So easy to say, God cares 
for you. But if you can grasp this one earth-shattering truth that God cares for you, everything else really falls perfectly into place. God says God cares for you, meaning his care surrounds you. It's completely around you. His care encompasses you is what Peter's trying to say here. God cares about you and he cares for you. You might ask, you know, people might, you might ask people at the mall or at church or whatever, what does God care about? Right, what does God care about? I would think the usual answer, whether they're church people or not, would be like, well, he cares about us following the rules. Right? Watch certain cable shows. Well, God cares about politics. Right? Well, God, God cares about, you know, whether you're being evil or not. You know what God really cares about? You. God cares about you. God cares about me. God cares about me. Say it to your neighbor. God cares about me. Now say it with meaning. God cares about me. That is the truth of the universe. God cares about you. He created this earth for us, for you, so that we could have food, so that we could have oxygen, so that we could have water. It's designed perfectly for you. God cares about you. In fact, you are the object of God's concern. What does God care about? What is God concerned about? You. You. You are the object of God's concern. God cares about you. God cares for you. That's why he died for you. Like, like we love to say, if somebody will die for you, they're for you. God cares about you. He wants to have an eternal, perfect relationship with you. Where you understand why you were made, who you are, that you can trust him, that you are loved by him. God cares about you. He wants a perfect relationship with you. He wants you to live the best life you can live. Not getting in your own way. Not hurting others. Not hurting his kids. The problem is we've all done that, right? We've all, and the Bible likes to call it sin, We've all sinned. We've all hurt other people. We've all broken the law of love, of loving God and loving others. And that's a problem. Because God, as a good parent, doesn't like it when other people hurt his kids. He has to do something about that evil. He has to, if he's a good God who has all power, at some point he's got to destroy evil, right? Or he's not a good God who's all powerful. Well, he's going to destroy evil. Who's he going to destroy? Me and you. Because we make those choices that hurt other people. We make evil in the world. So he had a problem. He wants to be with us. He loves us. He is for us. But he has to destroy evil, and we're the ones who make the evil. So what does he do? He is so for us that he came to solve the problem. He sent Jesus, who was 100% human, 100% God, to come take that punishment for us, to destroy evil for us, to die in our place, and then conquer death and evil by rising again. That's how much he cares about you, that he went through all that for you. The the pinnacle of human history is the story of how much God is for you, how much concern he has for you, his own death and resurrection. He cares about you so much that he didn't make a whole bunch of rules that you have to follow in order to to enjoy that relationship, in in order to be with him. He cares about you so much that he knew we could never earn it, we don't deserve it. 
But we simply just have to say, thank you. Thank you. I choose to trust you to take care of my evil. I choose to trust that you care for me so much that you died and rose again for me. That's how much he cares for you. And all that's left to do is say thank you. Thank you. So how do we cast our anxiety and clothe ourselves with humility? I mean, that sounds so big, right? How do we end this cycle of fighting for control? How do we just say thank you and rest in God? Well, remember, the need to control is the result of pride and fear, right? So humility and trust actually are the result of gratitude. Gratitude is where you learn humility and trust. The Apostle Paul talks about it in, in Philippians here. He says, do not be anxious. There's our word again. Do not be anxious about anything. But what about the car? No, the car's fine. What about the house? No, it'll, it'll be fine. What, what about my kids? I mean, do you see who they're hanging out with? Cast all your anxiety, or don't be anxious. All your anxiety. Don't be anxious about anything. See how they both have all and anything? It's so encompassing. So encompassing that I got mixed up. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with what? With worry, with, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? With, well, I never get, no. With thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard, like a soldier with a strong sword, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. With thanksgiving, humility and trust are the result of gratitude. So how do we cast our anxiety? How do we trust him? By saying thank you. Be thankful for what God has given you. Look back at all the ways he has been for you in your life. Because honestly, it's hard to be prideful and anxious when you're grateful. It's hard to be prideful when you're grateful, because you realize it's not anything you did. You say thank you. It's hard to be anxious when you're grateful because you realize, oh, thank you for that. Thank you for, oh, you do take care of me. You do care about me. You realize everything you have and are are not because of you and what you've done, what you've made happen. Everything you have, everything you are is from God who cares for you with his mighty hand. And as you look back, you'll see, you'll actually have proof that you can trust him and that you don't control your life and you don't control your spouse and thank God that you don't because it's under his mighty hand. So you have homework this week if you choose to accept it. I'll know. But here's your homework. It's super hard. Here's a challenge. Thank God for three things every day this week. Every day this week, when you wake up, when you go to bed, whenever you want to do it, with your spouse, with your kids, thank God for three things every day. And you know what? I'll, I'll give you one that you can use every single day. Thank him for your spouse. Because when they're driving you crazy, they're making you a better person because you get to practice trust. You get to cast your anxiety. So thank him for your spouse. So think, Because think about it. When, when has your desire to control ever really improved anything in your life, in your relationships? When has trying to control things actually helped? It hasn't. So give up that illusion of control and simply enjoy 
trusting. I mean, think about it. What would that be like? What would it be like to know your marriage, your family, your life is totally under control because you gave up control? What if you and your spouse stopped seeing each other as obstacles in the way of what you want? What if you stopped trying to win? What if you stopped being afraid of losing because you knew completely that God cares for you and he has it covered? What would that be like? Would, would that be freeing? Would that give you a, a sense of peace, of, of freedom? Would that bring more love and joy into your marriage maybe? Would that bring more love and joy into your home, into your life if you gave up trying to control things around you? I mean, think about what if your parents had done that? What if your parents had given up trying maybe to control you? What if your kids could grow up in that kind of home where they knew you're not trying to control them because you trust that God loves them more than you ever could because you've given him control. They see you trusting him. A home where nobody is controlled and everyone is loved for exactly who they are. I know that sounds like, oh, yeah, we could never. It's possible. It actually is possible because when you give up the illusion of control, you're free to love. When you give up the illusion of control, you are free to simply trust God and love others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your power. Thank you that you care about us. Teach us to trust that, that you care about us. Teach us to to cast anxiety and fear on you. Teach us just to enjoy those that you've given us. Not try to control them, but just trust that you are in control. Give us the courage to let go. Give us the courage to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hope you guys have a great week. Thank you so much for being here. Next week, we're going to have a little bit more fun. It's Mother's Day. We're going to talk a little bit more about marriage, maybe a little bit about expectations. Husbands, you're like, ah, crap. Wives, you're like, yes! We'll turn it around, don't worry. Anyway, hey, have a great week. Hope to see you guys soon.